Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Megan, and my partner in podcast here is... Marta, hello. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about uh, more psychology and relationships. This time, we are talking about romantic relationships, specifically the psychology of love. If you listened to our last episode, you'll know that I covered the psychology of sexuality. Thank you, thank you. And hanky panky. <laughs> and uh, this time, Marta's going to take the reins and she's going to walk us through the psychology of love. So, not just the hanky panky, but the. I can't think of a rhyme that fits it very well, but the the, the love part of the of romantic panky. relationships. The lovey panky. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, Marta, are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. All right. I'm really happy that you said dive in because that's what I had written in my intro, too. I say, now let's dive in. Oh, so great minds. Natural born swimmers. Um, okay, so today I'm going to be talking about, yeah, uh, love, not the kind of the psychology of love, but I focus specifically on the theories of the psychology of love. So there are a lot of theories out there. I don't know how quickly we're going to get through these, but I kind of... I wanted to cover a lot more. Like I have some headings here that I wanted to talk, wanted to talk about, um, about, oh, I erased them. Okay. I guess I didn't have those headings, but I know I wanted to talk about like love between animals and love between humans and other animals. And also the neurochemistry of love, which we're planning on talking about next week, I think. Um, so this week we're just going to be covering theories of love. Um, and then at the end I did throw in some interesting tidbits that I found, but it's all focused around theories of love cool we ready so who megan do you think was the first psychologist who had a theory of love um i don't know that it would be a psychologist but my guess is that it's a greek philosopher oh actually yeah it that's that is probably correct but the have first you ever one? seen hedwig in the angry itch um it's a i shook my head good movie um and uh, of course you haven't seen it um (laughs) and uh anyway uh, one of the songs is called the origin of love and it's based off aristotle's um no yeah aristotle or aristophiles one of uh, one of the chapters of plato's symposium i should read uh you should read plato's symposium it's it's about love i I read read it in my philosophy of love and desire oh. class in university yeah i should learn about all those philosophers but um the first the first psychologist my uh oh uh kinsey freud oh of course it was freud her yeah i should have given you like an abc and i was like megan would know this if i gave her like some kind of context but i should have just guessed it of course it was freud he's <laughs> it all it always comes back oh. to that fucking freud void <laughs> and Freud void. Ooh. Hashtag Freud void. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Shit. Um, my mind is blown. I'm in a Freud void. <laughs> okay. We're all in a Freud void. <laughs> so um, my first bullet under Freud's theory is, of course, he had a theory of love. Um, and his theory centered around the need for an ego ideal. Um, and the ego ideal is the person who... like the image of a person who you want to become. And so the person that you choose to love uh, is an image of the person you want to become, which links with his like Oedipal complex and all that bullshit, because there's an idea, like he had the idea that you want to become your parent. So you're going to date your parent. Yeah. 
he also had the uh, idea of a super ego, which is like your your moral compass. It's like the the thing that dictates who you should be and how you should be. And I'm now having like some weird mind trails of like, oh, is this why we're so let down when the person doesn't live up to the pedestal oh. that we've put them on? And yeah, there's a lot of those mind trails that I was having during yours too. Yeah. So mind trails hashtag wow <laughs> hashtag mind trails hashtag Freud boy <laughs> hashtag WKDWD hashtag we're trying to make Twitter happen <laughs> um, next up is Maslow so if you guys remember from what episode was that where you covered the hierarchy of needs oh it was the same episode theories of personality, personality. Yeah. yeah so that was um, the humanistic approach though I think okay yeah yeah so um, from the same you guys should know of Freud and Maslow by now. Uh, so the top level of Maslow's hierarchy is self-actualization and his theory of love centered around the idea that only those who reach self-actualization are capable of love. Um, and this, like, it doesn't, if both Freud's and Maslow's ideas don't compete with the current most agreed upon theory. So like, I agree with them. I just don't think that this is like the governing factor because people who are all sorts of fucked up still love Mm -hmm. like because then people who don't have like that's that's basically saying that like homeless people can't love because they don't have shelter well that's assuming that a homeless person hasn't reached self-actualization yeah but aren't isn't one of the basic needs shelter so if you don't have shelter you can't reach a higher need yeah but like your choice man anyway (laughs) i don't know cut that (laughs) Um, next one is Rake, R-E-I-K, um, who I only pulled a quote from that says that being in love is attainable to those who can love for the sake of loving people, not just fixing one's own problem. And that kind of fed out of Maslow's theory that you can only love once you've reached self-actualization, kind of a similar thing. If you're loving to solve a problem in your own life, um, then you're not truly loving. Mm -hmm. The next two theories that I have are much more robust and more research went into them, and they're actually much more modern theories. So the first one is The Theory of Liking Versus Loving by Zick Rubin. Um, And this, this theory equates romantic love with attachment, caring, and intimacy. Remember those three because they'll come up in the main theory that we're going to discuss. Attachment, caring, intimacy. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, like, you didn't have to repeat it back to me, but thank you. Very studious of you. <laughs> um, and these are the, according to him, these are the key differences between liking and loving. So this is how I was planning to pull from last week's episode, where you have casual hanky-panky, how does that become love and, like, a loving relationship? Well, it's those three ingredients, attachment, caring, and intimacy. Um, and in the theory that we're going to be focusing on today, which is the triangular theory of love, I'll go in more into those three ingredients and how they work together. Um, so according to this theory of liking versus loving, just spending time and hanging out with people and like wanting to see them a lot is just liking. But the desire for intimacy and contact, as well as caring for another person's needs as much as you care for your own, makes it loving. So that's where... Uh, it kind of, again, links back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like caring about somebody else's needs as much as your own. The idea is that if you're self-actualized, you're, you have that ability to care for somebody else's because you're not so like wrapped up in your own. Um, the next one is also a well-developed and fairly modern theory. It's called the color wheel 
model of love in general. I just really like this theory because, um, first of all, it was coined by a Canadian, John Allen Lee. Uh, next up, the diagram or like the picture behind this model is really pretty. It's a triangle. <laughs> it's a triangle. And like, I think the top is blue, the corner is red, and then another corner is maybe yellow or green. I don't know. But like, like the a primary color colors? Wheel. Yep. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then uh, the other sides would be orange and green and purple. Yeah. And then there's a circle around that triangle um, describing the secondary colors and the secondary types of love. So he used the color wheel to say primary colors define love. Um, he said that there are three ty- three main types, eros, ludos, and storage. Um, and so each type has a point on the triangle. What was the last one? storage storage like no i'm gonna go store this in the basement there's no a s-t-o-r-g-e okay okay yeah no no but i definitely as i was reading it and i tried to say it to myself i say storage and storage the same unless i'm trying to say them differently (laughs) so okay cool uh, i'm gonna go put this in storage means i'm gonna go put this in love or in storage Sorry. Uh, Anyway, so Eros is erotic and passionate love, according to this theory. Ludos is game-seeking fun and activities and indulgent kind of love, so like a friendly, energetic, vibrant love. Uh, And then storage grows slowly out of friendship based on interests and commitment, which is funny because using storage as the word to play off of this, like it grows slowly out of friendship. It's something that you like have with you. You collect it and put it in a big Tupperware bin. Commitment. You commit to storing it. Um, Well, that was a a leap. Yeah, so there's (laughs) there's the three primary styles, uh, and they can be combined to make secondary forms of love, like paint can be combined to make complementary colors to the primary colors. Um, So, oh, actually, yeah. So another thing about this theory was that the Wikipedia page about it, I'd like to go really, like, I would like to go further into this theory of love, but... I don't want to like confuse us. I want to focus on just one. Okay. But the nice thing about this theory and the Wikipedia page, whoever put it together, is that for each type, Eros, Ludos, and Storage, they used a movie or like a couple movies to like explain that like that's cute that type of love. So like when Harry Met Sally is like one of the types of love. Which or, one? Oh, I think it was Storage. Okay. Because was it? Did it come from a friendship? Yeah. Yeah. And it is a slow burn. Yeah, yeah, so he, they put, like, different rom-coms to, like, help you explain the different types of love, which was very cute. Which was Eros. Was it, um, like, uh, oh, what's that movie with the friends with benefits or, like, just something like that? So Eros had The Blue Lagoon, Pretty Woman, Working Girl, and Girl with a Pearl Earring. Ah. Uh. Um, Ludos didn't have anything, but Storage had Love and Basketball when Harry met Sally Zach and Miri make a porno. Cool. Yeah. I'm really glad I was able to pull that up because I didn't have that written already. (laughs) Um, And then the fact that he's using uh, Greek words actually really piqued my interest in something Mm -hmm. else. Like I went on a little thought path. Is that what you called it? Uh, Mind trail. Mind trail. I went on a mind trail um, because I remember reading somewhere that the Greek language has many more words for love than we do we just have one word for love and when you're translating greek words for love into english 
you lose a lot of the meaning, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason I really love language. And like, there's words for Polish, like words in Polish that don't exist in English, whatever, whatever. So um, I'm going to talk about those now. I'm so, so excited. I yeah. wanted to ask, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But I wanted to ask, like, do you do you know the etymology of these words? <laughs> oh, I don't know the like, I don't know how the words themselves like got their structure, but I know what they mean. Okay. I have their definitions. Um, Fucking good enough for me. Yeah. So I found six words, but I found like different articles that said that there's different amounts of words. So some said that there's four, some said that there's five. I found two different articles that like didn't overlap perfectly. And Mm. so whatever. I found a bunch and I'm going to read through them. Actually, I think I found more than six. So first one is agape or agape, whatever. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, It's unconditional love, charity love, or the love that God has for man. Okay. So it's just like, it's also a very general love, like a love that you can have for all people. Like a philanthropic love. Yeah. Next is eros, which is... um, just as I described it earlier, it's an erotic, passionate love. Wait, actually, did I? Yeah, I did describe them earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, erotic, passionate love. Socrates argued that this love helped the soul recall knowledge of beauty, oh. which is so beautiful to think. And I included that Socrates quote for you. You should because... really read Plato's Symposium. Yeah, <laughs> I should. Um, I actually might have a copy of it. I can't remember ooh. if I sold it or not, but if I do, I'll lend it to you. It's very good. It's very thin. Oh. Perfect. So it's easy to read. <laughs> Unlike me. Um, <laughs> sorry. Self-deprecation is my kind of humor. Um, next is philia. And then I have philautia. So I don't know if these were the same, but the definitions that the two different articles gave me were different. So I don't know if it's the same word. Just like one of them is a short way of saying it. But or is I'll it like a male them. and a female form of the same word? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But they described, they gave different definitions for them. So Philia is affectionate friendship between equals. So like an affectionate love, like the kind of love that pod buddies might have for each other, for example. Um, and then philatia, philautia is the love for oneself. Like, okay. I love myself today. Not like yesterday. Okay. Um, next is storage. So love and affection, especially. Oh, love and affection. And it's also especially between parents and children. Mm-hmm. So, like, the kind of love that a parent has for their child could be described as storage. And, again, built over a long An time. period yeah. of time. Like, it's a stable, committed, constant love. Uh, ludus, ludus uh, is playful love between children or between lovers. So, like, the kind of love that kids can have for each other or the kind of love that a child has to their parent. That could be the ludus love. And then there's pragma, which is a longstanding love. So, yeah. And what's just, it brings, again, back my love of other languages, because this makes, imagine reading a poem about love in Greek. Like, it just... It would be beautiful. Saying, like, I love you means so much more because you're using, like, one of those loves, like, one of those words for love. It's very cool. Um, Which brings us to uh, the most commonly found theory i would say is the triangular theory of love um (laughs) the wikipedia article made sure to say not to be confused with a love triangle (laughs) so it's like perfect jokes nice jokes wikipedia (laughs) um it's influenced by the color wheel and the liking versus loving theory so the color wheel influenced it with those three components intimacy passion and commitment which i mentioned earlier uh and then the liking versus loving theory 
influenced it by saying that different tenants could exist like you could have some of some of them and then that will only make love uh, only make friendship or like liking but if you have different like ratios of the ingredients then it makes a loving relationship so this was uh, developed by robert sternberg who is a psychologist at yale but something funny i found about him was that he seems to love the number three so he has the triarchic theory of intelligence triangular theory of love the three process view uh he also has a set of triplets and he also defined, or he also said that there's three types of love. Whoa. But the triplets. That's a, that's a fluke. Yeah. Um, I also tried to anagram his name into the word three, but he's missing the H. I was going to make a joke that maybe he can't just, he just can't count to four. But then you said the triplet thing and then it was like, oh, whoa, no, that's. <laughs> oh, I can't count to four is also cute. <laughs> but like, maybe it's just like a mental thing. Like Maybe. Well, and like a triangle is the strongest shape. So like, it's, it's a good. Isn't it a noble? The strongest shape? Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it's a triangle. It's why so many bridges are built um, with triangular. Yeah, not ovals. You're right. No, you're right. So before Sternberg developed this theory, he came up with three types of love. So there's Spearmanian, Thomsonian, and Thurstonian. And I was like, okay, buddy, like, calm down with these Please words. Please use Greek words for Please. your... <laughs> exactly. So Spear- Spearmanian is a love that is a single bundle of positive feelings. Thomsonian is a love that's a mixture of multiple feelings that when brought together produces love. Uh, and Thurstonian is the closest to the triangular theory, uh, which says that love is made up of equal parts that are more easily understood on their own and then as a whole. And so after this whole like types of love discussion, he's like, yo, fuck this. This actually makes no sense. Let's talk about the (laughs) triangular theory of love and just focus on one of those types of love. Um, I have a quote here that, or not a quote, but I have a bullet point that says, as I continue just to describe this theory, you'll see why this leads from sexy time to love. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see then, shall we? (laughs) Um, I have a quote from Sternberg that says the amount of love one experiences depends on the absolute strength of the three components. So as a reminder, intimacy, passion, and commitment. Um, and the type of love that one experiences depends on the strengths relative to each other. So if you have like a lot of intimacy and not a whole lot of passion and commitment, that's one type of love. If you have a lot of intimacy, but it's like physical intimacy and not emotional in- intimacy, and then a lot of passion, but no commitment, that's another type of thing. So in a relationship where it's pretty much only passion and only physical intimacy, that could be hanky-panky central. But one that has commitment becomes a romantic relationship. And if there's emotional intimacy as well, like like self-disclosure, that sort of thing, becomes a romantic like love Mm -hmm. relationship so those three tenants like the three corners of the triangle kind of explain like all of it which is cool yeah um and if you want to like retroactively apply it to one of our friendship episodes where intimacy is something that fosters friendship but you don't have like a passion for each other or you don't have like you have Low levels of intimacy, low levels of, like, enthusiasm and excitement to see each other, and low levels of commitment, that could be a friendship. But if you're, like, super high on all of those, then it's a romantic relationship. Or that's where it starts to blur the line between friends and romance. Ooh. Um, 
I almost just said another fact about Demi Lovato because she has... Well, and by almost, I mean, I'm saying it now. You mean you brought it up anyway? Yeah. Because <laughs> she has a song called, uh, I think it's like, Let's Ruin the Friendship. And it's like about crossing the line. Anyway, I need to fucking stop quoting that woman. That's didn't right. know I was so into her until this podcast. I didn't either until this podcast. I literally never bring her up in my daily life. This is the, at least the second time, maybe oh, the third time that you like brought it seventh. up on the podcast. No, let's say third in our model of threes. <laughs> Uh, so more on the three tenets. So intimacy is the feeling of closeness and attachment. It's described as something personal or private in nature. Uh, intimacy, if it's mutual, so if both people are feeling intimacy from the other person, it helps people feel at ease. Um, and this means both emotionally and physically intimate. So self-disclosure is a type of int- intimacy, but also sex is a type of intimacy, mm-hmm. which, as you discussed in our previous episode, leads to fulfilling of internal requirements like emotional requirements next up is passion which is associated with either physical arousal or emotional stimulation so you can feel passion for someone even if you don't get a boner around them uh it's a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement uh but passion also can be any strong feeling so passion could be anger it could be romantic passion it could be enthusiasm it could be any strong feeling so sometimes passion leads down a negative path yeah so like anger That's just something that I wanted to point out. Um, And then finally, we have commitment, which arguably is what changes something from a hookup to relationship. Mm -hmm. Because you could still have, like, passion and intimacy, but if somebody's not committed to being with you, then it's not a relationship. So there's conscious decision to stick with one another. It's the decision is the decision to stay is mainly determined by the level of satisfaction that a partner derives from the relationship, which is interesting. And that's, they found that like in research that decisions to stay are more common, the more satisfied somebody is, which makes sense. That's when people leave when they're not satisfied. Um, A commitment is a promise to do something or to stay loyal to something or someone. And it's an attitude of working hard to do or support something. And then I found something really interesting. So there's, they listed the different types of relationships. So non-love, liking, slash friendship, infatuated love, empty love, romantic love, compassionate love, fatuous love, and consummate love. And then they indicated everything that needs to exist for, like, of the three tenets, everything that needs to exist for these different types of love. So non-love, you don't need any of the three things. For liking and friendship, you need intimacy. For infatuated love, you need only passion. For empty love, you need only commitment. For Mm. romantic love, you need intimacy and passion. For compassionate love, you need intimacy and commitment. For fatuous love, you need passion and commitment. And for consummate love, you need all three. So the best is obviously Let's consummate. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You're right. But I was trying to make a joke. Oh. That's fine. I'm I went like the total opposite direction you know what I just my brain is failing me so also I'm aware that I'm speaking in a very monotone voice so if you guys want to listen to this episode to fall asleep thinking about love sweet dreams (laughs) sweet dreams (laughs) um next I also have a diagram of the triangle theory of love um And it describes like romantic love is between the liking and passion or the intimacy and passion parts like it's just it shows you where all those different types of loves fit which you guys can't see because it's a podcast (laughs) 
<laughs> we could post a link. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sternberg, he has done just a lot of work in the whole love sphere. Like a lot of his research was determined, um, was directed at love centered around love his next theory after this one was the love story theory that every relationship goes through a set like amount like set steps in a really like of love or set types of love like you go through certain stages there we go like every relationship goes through the stages but that was like widely criticized Mm -hmm. um and Every person is different, so mm-hmm. it was just <laughs> a completely crazy thing to even say, but his triangle theory of love is really holding strong. Uh, a criticism of his work uh, was run by, there was a study run by Michelle Acker and Mark Davis in 1992. They found that there are no exact answers, so even though people might fit like kind of into his story, his story theory, there's no... Like, he doesn't say this This part will last a month and this part will last three months and this part will last a year or whatever. So you can't really test the theory that isn't strong and testable anyway. Um, each couple and individual experiences love in a different way. And they found this, like, actually, they saw this as an artifact of their study that everybody experiences love differently. So Well, and it doesn't, like, it, it sounds narrow-minded, like, that yeah, everybody um, experiences love differently, but it isn't like something that can be set across cultures because like culturally, how you build relationships it's and things different. like that is yeah. very very different. And what's accepted in one culture in terms of starting a relationship is just not done in another, and vice versa, and all that sort of shit. So it's yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's basically his love story thing was widely knocked down it was bunked yeah it was bunked and every finding after that just kind of said every finding testing it said it's not that simple like love isn't that simple yeah and the same can be said for even the triangle theory of love so it continues to be studied there's even a study going on in 2018 oh wow yeah so love and like social like social interactions and that sort of thing because it's very dependent on the people and like how they respond. I can't remember what this artifact is called like in scientific study, but when it's something that's self report, it's very, very difficult to study things like neurochemicals and that kind of stuff. You can just pop someone in an MRI and you can study it, but things like that are self report are so difficult to study, which is why there's still studies going on to this day. Um, And Sternberg also developed measures of love, like to, to study like how in love are you or like what kind of love are you in or whatever but the current criticisms say that not everything is distinct and as separate as you say it is so um he said that there's liking compassionate love empty love fatuous love uh infatuation romantic love and consummate love and he says that these are all separate but it's possible that like companionate love and fatuous love could exist in a relationship together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's this other type of thing. Like it could be one, it could be the other, it could be both, it could be a mixture. Like it's not as simple as this theory leads us to believe. So it was very frustrating to find all of those criticisms because first I find the the strongest theory and then later I'll look into the criticism like to see what people have said. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this theory because it was pretty straight to the point and, like, 
just mathematic, like one plus one equals this type of love, this plus this equals this type of love. And all of the other, like all of the criticisms of it say, it's just not that simple. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to just like drive that point home by saying my love between me and Calvin is completely different from your relationship between yourself and Taylor. And we've talked about our relationships together time and time again. And sometimes I've been like, well, Megan and Taylor didn't go through this or like they did this instead or like they both are clean freaks and Calvin and I can't seem to agree about how clean a house should be and that sort of thing. And like, does that mean we're not destined to be? Absolutely not. No. Right? So just for my relationship has nothing to do with yours. Yours has nothing to do with mine. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with gym down the road yeah <laughs> yeah so I just wanted to drive that point home that people who like are comparing their relationships to other relationships just cut that just shit stop. out yeah yeah like everybody's different everybody's their own mixture of crazy so that's what these studies are saying but it would be really nice if everybody fit very neatly into Sternberg uh, because there are criticisms criticisms of it doesn't mean that it's not supported it is still supported and found there's a lot of evidence found for it but some of the criticisms are that it's not as rigid as we'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other research or there's other theories saying that there are two types of love. There's passionate love and compassionate love, compassionate love, um, and that they come in different stages of the relationship. So passionate love is your first stage, which is strong feelings of love and desire for a specific person, full of excitement and newness, important in the beginning of a relationship, and this lasts about a year, and that's been repeatedly studied and seen in romantic relationships that passionate love lasts about a year. And how it's scientifically studied is that there's actually a chemical component linked to it, um, and it's increased neurotransmitters, specifically phenylethylamine. Can't believe I said that right the first time. Wow. Yeah, so you have increased neurotransmitters in your floating around in your brain when you're in passionate love. Compassionate love follows passionate love. It's also known as affectionate love, and it's um, defined by a feeling of mutual understanding and care. It's important for the survival of a relationship. It's what happens after the first year of crazy passion. Yeah. That fits really well um, with what I was speaking in about in the last episode Sexual where like omnivores. these things are uh, no, oh. really that like the things that we want out of our romantic relationships are in conflict with each other, that we want the compassionate love, but it's in conflict with the passionate. Need for passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, and that's, that's also like that drop off the changeover from passionate to compassionate love is like, it kind of marks a drop off of like that desire and excitement and newness. Like when you switch over into compassionate love, it's a very stable, nurturing, fantastic love, Mm -hmm. but you are missing that passion. Yeah. There's no more like novelty or, um, excitement or yeah, newness or otherness to it or not no, but like decreased yeah yeah um so another thing i found was now i'm that's that's everything that i had to cover for like theories of love now i'm gonna cover some like fun factoids (laughs) or like just random things i found so back in 1653 um these french people i didn't write down their names because i tend to not do that uh they created a, a game or like a fantastical map um fantasy map i don't know why i said fantastical i was looking for fantasy map um (laughs) 
<laughs> called the Carte de Tendre, which is the map of love. So this map had various, like, imagined things on it. So there's the river of inclination, um, mutual affection. The road of mutual affection is the shortest way to love, like the town of love. There's a lake called indifference. So you have to bypass the lake of indifference to get to the town of love. Uh, passion is indicated as like rocky uncharted lands on the corner of the map and so it's just very cool i don't know what the point of it was it was made by like multiple people all contributed to this map but it's just a fun little artifact that love has always been something that people have been studying and fascinated by yeah and <laughs> french people in the in 1653 drew a map called carte de tendre um, um that would be such a cool poster yeah, it would be. Well, it's the picture of it's on the wiki. If you guys want to go make a poster, yeah, make a poster. <laughs> I don't know about the rights to that or anything. Oh, I'm sure they've expired by now. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. Actually, <laughs> I didn't even realize. Um, next up on the topic of love maps, there's an idea that everybody has an ideal br- blueprint for their, or sorry, an internal blueprint for their ideal erotic situations. Yeah, so there, um, the idea says that that this that everybody has like a template in their mind that depicts their idealized lover or idealized program of activity, and so when somebody can like pick up on those cues and like read your ideal program of activity, that's like a perfect fit. So every there's an idea that everybody has a perfect like a blueprint in their minds. I don't know how much science has supported it, but it was just a f- interesting thing to tie back to last week's episode um there is a lot of now we're going to talk about just very quickly self-help books and love so there's just so much bullshit out there fucking shelves and shelves and (laughs) shelves of it at indigo yeah like how to make your marriage work how to like uh, come back from how to have better sex how to have like it's the center of so many magazines and so many quizzes in magazines yes so many quizzes yeah and there's a couple out there that are good uh but there's one that if you're going to pick up any that this is probably a good one to pick up because it is based on scientific research is it written by esther perel because you should read her book esther perel (laughs) is a great one there's also who's the guy that i recommended last time eli finkel yes um so yeah, so there's there's the book by Esther Perel. Well, Esther Perel has two books now. I think so. Um, Eli Finkel also, I think, has two books, and they're also backed by science. But there's one that I came across that was pretty widely accepted, and I think it was one of the first of its kind to be backed by research, even though there has been criticisms of his research, which I'm going to go into because my favorite thing to do is to criticize research. Um, but this one is called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Um, this is practical advice for marriage and love, and it's still holds pretty true so even though it's been it's had a lot of like um a lot of its theories challenged or a lot of its like advice challenged that it still holds pretty true and so that's why i like it so the steps are um or the principles are nurturing fondness and admiration so you need to have fondness and admiration and you need to work on it and nurture it in a relationship you need to develop your love map which is interesting because it pulls back to the love map uh and it's a, it's basically you have to figure out what you want so that you can convey it to your partner um 
accepting influence, which means sharing power. So you have to accept your partner's ability to influence you or like you have to allow your partner to influence you and your partner has to allow you to influence them. Um, you have to turn towards each other. So when things get tough, don't go your separate ways, like turn into your relationship to work on it. Also solve the solvable, which is probably my favorite thing. I've heard it recently. I can't even remember who said it, but she was like, one of the best things for my relationship has been to solve the solvable. So every couple has like small fights about how, for example, they like the house cleaned. Like I like a much cleaner house than Calvin gives a shit about. And so he's really good at this solving the solvable because he's like, okay, then let's get a cleaning lady. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> I'm like, that's not the point. Yada, yada, yada. He's like, I make enough money and you want a clean house. Let's get a cleaning lady. He's like, then the responsibility is not falling on me. You're not doing it and getting resentful. Like let's just get a cleaning lady. And that's an example of solving the solvable. Yeah. So like give up that bullshit about like the principle. If you can solve, like if the problem is cleanliness and you can solve it by getting a cleaning lady that you can afford, of course, Yeah. then solve it because you have so many other things that you'll fight about. Like money is a big thing that's not instantly solvable. So why fight about things that aren't solvable? Like, or things that are solvable. Yeah. Yeah, so solve the solvable, and I just wanted to give a shout out to my boyfriend who solves the solvable, and it, like, <laughs> sometimes it bothers me, like, sometimes it bothers me because I, I'm a very, like, it's the principle of the thing, like, I want you to want to do this. Whereas Calvin is more, like, like he's like, I don't want to do this. Solution-oriented to exactly. the situation that you've brought to him. Yeah. yeah, and so sometimes it feels a little bit, like, dismissive, but when the case of the cleaning lady, like, once I finally gave up and I was like, okay, fine, let's get a cleaning lady when we live together, it was our best decision. And it actually does kind of get to the principle of it, too. Like, the whole, like, it's not a, it's not falling on me. It's not, like, something I have to be paranoid or worrying about. Like, that's, that's his side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, really clever. Yeah, um, another thing was... I get mad at him or I used to get mad at him because he would never close cupboard doors. And I was like, just close them. Close the door. He's like, well, let's get rid of them. Oh man. Was this his thing about wanting all the dishwashers? Then it it evolved into like a whole dishwasher thing. And this is still an ongoing debate because I'm like, until you spend as much time in the kitchen as I do, you have no say. But Calvin wants two dishwashers and some people think any man that he's proposed it to, not any, but like many men that he's proposed it to have been like, that's brilliant. And me, I'm like, that's not brilliant and it won't work logistically. And let me show you how. But we've gotten to the point that if we buy a house where there's space for two dishwashers, I'm allowing him to install two dishwashers so that he can see that I am right. (laughs) So I've gotten to that point. Um, anyway, solve the I like solvable. that that's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do it. Like, whatever. Let's see it. I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> and then hell, if he makes up like some excellent invention that actually makes it work really well. Then... Write a book about it or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sell that shit. Patent it. Calvin really like pushes my limits with that kind of like with risk taking. And so the cleaning lady thing was also like a risk taking. Like I had to give up my own morals. Anyway, solve the solvable. I'm going way off track here. Not really. Risk taking is is an important thing in terms of the longevity of the relationship. It could foster that like newness Ooh. feeling that like that keep that passion. Yeah. Yeah. I have to like Calvin really likes to invent and like have business ideas and like like to go down like 
rabbit holes and whatever. And I need to, like, every so often I need to remind myself to trust in him and his ability to stay afloat and to, like, develop an idea and take it through. Because if he wants to put himself under that challenge, I should let him and just be there to support him. Like, his money is his money. It's not my money. So if he wants to risk it, go ahead. First of all, we're not married and our finances are not tied together. So also, I'm in way more debt than he is. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever. Anyway, uh, next up is overcoming gridlock. So when you are fighting, uh, you need the willingness and the perseverance in order to stay in order to overcome gridlock. Um, Also, don't start fights when you're in traffic. Also true. No, totally actually also true. It's totally true. Have you seen that new commercial for Toyota or Honda or some shit? Mm -hmm. It's like a couple is having a fight and um, the car saves them because they almost rear end like a transport truck because they were fighting and the car has this sensor that won't let them go forward and it stops them. And they have this moment where they're like, this isn't what life is about. And... They buy a car. I don't know. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, Overcoming gridlock also means not digging your heels in during an argument um, and like look being flexible and looking for ways to get out. Sorry, I just cut off our heavy conversation. Good. It Um, was for the best. (laughs) And then the final step is create shared meaning. So create activities or do things together that will give you like a shared meaning. So for example, Bill and Melinda fucking Gates, who are the best people ever, have a whole foundation and they just do a whole bunch of good and their shared passion, their shared meaning is philanthropy and that's their like shared common goal. While Bill was the CEO of Microsoft, Melinda was at home not doing a whole, well, not not doing a whole lot. Wow, Marta, you asshole. That was surprising me for a second. (laughs) That's so unlike you. Not doing... A whole lot in the corporate world. There we go. Um, she was raising the children, mm-hmm. right? And like creating a Keeping household. Keeping their family together. and Keep yeah. Running the household, which yeah. is a corporation of its own. Um, and then once he left Microsoft, uh, they decided to start this foundation together. And it was very important to both of them that they were both equal partners. Um, and they talk. It, I actually read an article about them yesterday, so, which is why it's so fresh on my mind. But they talk about how Bill made a really conscious effort to give Melinda equal power because a lot of the times when they'd be talking to stakeholders or like people of high importance, they would turn to Bill with the important things or they'd like face him and speak to him when it came to like decision-making and he'd be like, well, let's see what Melinda has to say about this or whatever. And so it was just like, create something shared, create something equal that is both of your things. So if it's, I don't know, if it's something that's more one person's realm than the other, make sure that you try to mitigate that. Um, does it have to be something like outside of the family? Cause I'm just thinking like a lot of couples would probably look at their children as being that or like their homestead or their yeah, dogs or cats. This, uh, so the book talks about how kids are an example of creating shared meaning. Okay. Yeah. Um, finally, I am, wrapping up slowly love and other branches of psychology so as i mentioned i really want to talk about other areas of psychology and love such as neuroanatomy of intimacy so there's a whole branch of psychology like a whole section of study that talks about intimacy and what it looks like in the brain and how your brain reacts to different types of intimacy Uh, and there's a biological basis of love so for example oxytocin in human experiences and behavior and how that fosters love in different situations 
Like last week we mentioned pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Finally, there's fun facts about love or research-backed fun facts about love. So love is different than passion and lust. Brain scans in real time show that we manifest lust in motivation areas of the brain, whereas love lights up regions connected to caring and empathy. So it's actually different parts of your brain Mm -hmm. that are taking part. Uh, Building lasting relationships takes work. And I spelled work with an E because I'm like that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I don't know. Um, Gotta uh, work. There's a meta-analysis about this, which... I wrote here that it's the best kind of study. Um, And there are certain behaviors that are associated with lasting relationships. And these behaviors take uh, take work to foster. And these behaviors are partners think positively of each other when they are not together and they speak positively of each other. They support each other's personal growth and development consciously. So they actually take make an effort to support each other's growth. Um, And they undertake shared experiences, which is something that we learned about. In the previous one, research continues to support this point, um, and these shared experiences uh, are to learn about themselves and to expand themselves and each other as a couple. Uh, next fact is that we can in- we can actually increase our capacity to love. So whatever you're at now, you're not stuck there. Um, and this has to do a lot with mindfulness and self-compassion research. Mindfulness research has been blowing up lately with like apps like Headspace and... Um, Oh, there's other meditating apps, but it's all about like mindfulness Mm -hmm. and like experiencing your emotions as they happen. Practicing mindfulness and self-compassion makes us more positive and empathetic people in a matter of months. So if you are a frequent meditator, you actually become a better lover, like a better person. You become better at loving. Um, An extreme example of this is uh, monks who meditate frequently for long periods of time. They actually have a different rhythm of brain alpha waves than the average non-meditating person. Um, And there's argument that that says that this makes them more compassionate as people. Uh, An increase in increased activity in the brain centers connected with empathy and positive emotions are um, those increased, those pockets of increased activity are associated with meditation. So it's seen in people who meditate. Similarly, if we focus on love, we can enhance enhance it. So research shows that expressing gratitude in words or actions actually creates positive emotion in both involved parties. So if like it's very um, something that actually my therapist has told me that like when somebody does something that you appreciate, make sure that you express that you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like <laughs> Calvin texts me good morning and I really enjoy that. So like I'll make sure every so often to tell him like once again thank you for texting me every morning good morning if we don't see each other because it makes me happy positive reinforcement is a very basic tenet of psychology and learning um next point is that love improves physical health uh so i mentioned this in a previous study that there's a or in our previous episode that there's a study that says loneliness and lack of social connection actually shortens our lifespan So it's associated with the shorter life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for men in particular, marriage improves long-term health. I feel like we've talked about that in multiple episodes now that you say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this study asked the question whether the long-term health has to do with the fact, like with the social connection that men just live longer because of the like strong connection, like emotional connection, or whether it's women actually look out for men's health more. 
Hmm. Um, and I think there was another one that I found that said women, like that that's why, but it didn't explain all of the variation. So it could be that just like emotional connectivity with men, uh, with women. Or it could be both. Yeah. Oh yeah. Could be both. Probably is both. Uh, second last fact, loving somebody does not decrease your ability to love others. Actually, the inverse is true. So if you love someone, you're more likely to love others because love motivates love. Um, and on the same tenant, like love is contagious just just like how happiness is contagious when you smile somebody else is more likely to smile back that's um funny because that reminds me of our acquaintanceship episode when you talked about how the some people had to go in and order their coffee and just order coffee and other people had to go in and order a coffee and engage and have a conversation with the person who was getting their coffee and that like how it affected their day and fostered well-being yeah so yeah Full circle. Share the love. Um, And then the final fun fact about love that's backed by research is that, excuse me, love is not unconditional. So um, a prerequisite for love is that you need safety and trust. Uh, If you do not have safety and trust, you are less, you're... um, if you're if you do not have safety and trust, you can't connect lovingly or empath- empathically. So your prefrontal cortex is actually associated with this, and it has to send a signal to your amygdala, which is your brain's alarm center, um, to to switch off the fight or flight response. So if you do not have safety and trust, then your prefrontal cortex is not able to send that signal to turn off the fight or flight response to your amygdala. So there's like an argument that it's a neurological thing um and then another study found further support for this and i think i mentioned it a few episodes the parental alienation syndrome Mm -hmm. so on a similar note anyone who experienced childhood experiences that threatened secure attachment to their parent have a harder time switching off the fight or flight uh system and so it it can usually be overturned with a partner who continues to show like trustworthiness but if you find that you're the partner that is repeatedly showing that you're trustworthy, that you're there, you're a secure person, whatever, and your partner is still not turning off their fight, flight, or freeze system, then it might be time to look for a different partner. But probably not that bad. <laughs> or, like, just, I don't know, maybe work with a professional to work through that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing... Or the cool fucking thing that I, (laughs) that's how I wrote it. Um, There's another neurological idea behind like humans require or like humans need to connect emotionally. Um, The fact that mirror neurons exist. Have you heard of mirror, mirror neurons? So mirror neurons are neurons in our brains that are in tuned with other people. Okay. And so there are things in your brain that make you feel like they're kind of like the empathy neuron. Uh, there's an argument that says it's kind of crazy, and I don't know if it's actually backed by research, that like humans are actually kind of telepathic, that you can feel what other people are feeling. And so mirror neurons are actually the things that make you feel bad when you see somebody feeling bad that make you feel happy when somebody else is feeling happy. Like the fact that we have that, we have mirror, yeah, mirror neurons. neurons. I think that's like the perfect way of yeah. like 
layman's terming it. The fact that we have those, the fact that those exist, those like magical neurons that like make our brain do something that is not actually caused by our own body and our own experience. Like we're doing it only to connect to the person across from us is the argument that humans are created to be social and to be with other humans. Yeah. That's it. That's where I'm leaving it. Cool. Love is natural. Hell yeah, love is natural. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay, well... um, I did a lot of talking there. Yeah, that's... Wow, that was a lot to absorb. Don't be sorry at all. It was all really interesting. Um, Thank you. And to think I I was worried that it was going to be short. You thought you were going to be short? Yeah. Oh, no, dude. You had tons of stuff. I had so much stuff. Yeah. Good thing I didn't go into... There was so much more I wanted to cover. I like that you had, you definitely had more brain scans than I did on this whole like love and sex thing. I was surprised because I didn't think I had any. And so every time I read that, I was like, oh, right, I do have Yeah, that. you have tons of like studies and brain scans and all kinds of shit. I love me some brain scans. I know. Yeah, I know you do. You and your brain scans and your meta analyses, like that's I'm what you're all about. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> anyway um thank you for indulging me hey no problem i i learn a lot along the way so cool cool. um well thanks marta and uh thank you listeners uh i'm just sort of catching my brain a little bit in any case thank you for for your work marta thank you listeners for your listening um don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share Who Knew We Didn't on iTunes or your favorite podcast playing app. Uh, reviews especially really do help us and and help others find us and, and that sort of thing. So please, please do it. Um, also, uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those social media options. We are Who Knew We Didn't at all of these places. If you want to reach out to us uh, with ideas or feedback or anything like that, you can also email us at didn't at gmail.com. Um, yeah. That's everything. I think that's everything. So tune in next week when we we go further into the world of relationships because it's what a world that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we're just like the we're going to be doing neuroscience of yeah love and chemicals yeah yeah focusing love. in on more brain scans yay yeah so thanks for listening and talk See to you, you next week. week bye bye <laughs>